Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, I have great news for you. Bet online, there are partners, and it's the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. You can find reviews and news for every league, including MLB, the NFL, combat sports, and even golf. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Before sunrise, Burn Dairy and Deli is preparing to fuel your day with hot coffee, donuts, muffins, breakfast sandwiches, and other morning staples. For lunch, grab a giant deli sandwich made the way you like it. Pizza, wings, wraps, or a fresh salad. Plus, something to wash it down. Then pick up dinner or a sweet treat and other pantry essentials. Now you can get your Burn Dairy and Deli favorites delivered with DoorDash. All day, every day, you can count on Burn Dairy and Deli. It's all good. Hi, this is Bob Costas, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter back with you all over the major platforms. Download, subscribe, leave feedback, and a five-star review. We are brought to you by Burn Dairy, Stanley Law Offices, Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual New York State, and our great friends over at the Syracuse Fitness Store. If you're in and around Central New York, you're in town visiting friends and family, make sure you stop by for that top-notch workout equipment from ellipticals and bikes to workout mats, free weights, and a heck of a lot more in between at the Syracuse Fitness Store, Erie Boulevard in Syracuse. The Syracuse Fitness Store is the official fitness equipment store of the ML Sports Platter. And I do want to throw a quick tip of the cap thank you out there to the friends of the platform, Bob Lindsley, Daryl Abert, the Swan and Whitaker families for their continued support of the ML Sports Platter. Let's get right to it here. I, I've got a fun pun, a podcast here planned for you. Um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the LA Dodgers, just how that they have that look again. Um, and then I'm going to play for you a crossover episode from the Pandemonium Podcast on the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network, one of the best in the business. A guy who's covered the Buffalo Bills and the NFL for 50 years, a columnist, an insider, <clears throat> you name it, with the Only Times Herald, his name is Chuck Pollock, and uh, he's also a friend of mine. Uh, I had an opportunity to chat with him and catch up at uh, my main man, Bill Hoppy's wedding uh, in Niagara Falls uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I said, man, it's incredible that I, that I see you here because I was literally going to call you in the coming days to come on my show to uh, preview the Bill season. And so we get him on, we talk some training camp, we talk about his conversation with Leslie Frazier at St. John Fisher. Um, <clears throat> we get into the hype and expectation thing, kind of getting out of control. So you're not going to want to miss that. It's all things Buffalo Bills talk with Chuck Pollock from the Olean Times Herald. You know, the LA Dodgers have got that look again, don't they? I mean, as I record this, they're 33 games over 500. And, you know, you, you think back to the you know, back to the July that they had. And you could just kind of tell that things were starting to come together, you know, after the first half. You're like, okay, you know, post-All-Star break, they went four, you know, they sweep the Giants. Then they lose two weird ones to the Nationals. Then they beat the Nationals. Then they beat the Rockies in two, and then they lost to one to them for one game. And then they beat them, so they won three of four. And then after that July 30th game, you know, let's be honest here. I mean, you know, 
win, 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 win. You know, and he reeled off nine in a row. Um, you know, into the twin series, in and out of the twin series. Okay, and and um, you know, they're just playing really, really great baseball right now. Um, and they just they've got that championship look again. And what's amazing, well, probably two co- two sides of the coin to this one. On the one hand, it isn't amazing <clears throat> that they're able to, to to piece together things, you know, with even with missing people because they have such a huge payroll. Um, they have done a great job with the farm system, um, and and the farm system balance with the free agents and how they've been able to sign guys at really way under their worth compared, you know, con- considering what they make money wise for the franchise. Um, but the other part of it is that there, there are people missing, right? I mean, the Dodgers went out and blew a ton of money on Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer, I mean, is he ever going to play baseball again? Is he ever going to play in a Dodger uniform again uh, with all the off-the-field stuff? I have no idea. <clears throat> so you've got that aspect of it, number one. Number two, you have the situation also with a guy by the name of Walker Buehler, who's been banged up basically the entire um, last few months here. And you know, in order for them to win a World Series, do they need Walker Buehler? I don't know. I mean, I thought he was the ace of the staff, and now we're looking at guys like Tyler Anderson, who's a Cy Young candidate. Tony Gonsolin has given them a lot of great innings too, but he pitches short, and it's just funny when people are like, oh, Tony Gonsolin. Remember when he was winning games and only had one loss? He was 10-1, and one, he was 11 and one. The guy only pitches five innings. I mean, do the math. Five times three is, hello, 15 outs. That's all you have to get. Um, so, eh, you know, try, try going deep in games, try being, you know, Bob Gibson, Whitey Ford, Sandy Koufax, Tom Seaver, you know, Randy Johnson and, and, uh, and let me know. However, for the five innings he is in there, he's been pretty good. Um, <clears throat> you know, Andrew Haney, uh, they've gotten step up starts from a lot of guys. Julio Urias has been pretty good. Um, you know, I know a lot of people kind of were worried about their bullpen. Uh, the bullpen has actually been okay too. Um, you know, they've hung in there. They made that trade for Craig Kimbrell. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, were a big fan of that at the time. I wasn't sure. Um, but you know what? It's, uh, it's a Dodger team that right now is with the, you know, the situation going on, um, you know, with, with, with balance and versatility they do everything really, really well. Clayton Kershaw was pitching pretty well until he ended up uh, on the injured list with lower back pain. As I record this, um, they'll hope that he's back for the playoff run. But they do everything really well. I mean, they have enough starting pitching. I don't think it's dominant starting pitching. In fact, I think that if they were to go in a seven-game series against the New York Mets, I might pick the Mets to win that because of DeGrom and Scherzer. As long as those two guys are healthy and at the top, I'm going to have a hard time picking against the Mets in, in the playoffs. I really am. Um, so you've got that situation going on with Scherzer and with DeGrom, uh, and, and, and the Mets pitching probably stronger. Um, after that though, you probably could make the argument that the Dodgers have some of the best pitching, maybe Atlanta as well. Um, they have enough starting pitching. The bullpen's been good. And, you know, as far as the offense goes, I mean, please, like this team can score anywhere between five and 15 runs a night. Um, it's very rare that they score below five or four because they just have so many freaking weapons on this team. I mean, where is the easy out? I mean, where is the break? Where's the breath that you can take when you're facing the LA Dodgers lineup? I mean, it's just, 
there, there isn't one. I mean, you've got to deal with, you know, top to bottom. You know, you're, you're going up against, you know, Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger and Trey Turner and Justin Turner and Max Muncy and Gavin Lux and, you know, Freddie Freeman, who they bring over, who is building a Hall of Fame career, you know. Um, you know, Trace Thompson, Bellinger, and Chris Taylor. I mean, they have so many guys. Will Smith at catcher. They have depth at every position. Um, you know, they've got balance. They have versatility. They can hit you with, you know, hit hit, hit for contact, hit for power. Um, you know, they can beat you one nothing. They can beat you fifteen fourteen. Um, they can just get you in a lot of different ways. And you know, it's something, isn't it? Like the San Diego Padres made all those unbelievable moves, right? I mean, they bring in Brandon Drury, they bring in Josh Hader, they bring in Juan Soto, they bring in Josh Bell, and. The Dodgers are so far and away ahead of San Diego, it isn't even funny. I mean, I'm recording this podcast, and they're 16 games up on the Padres. The Padres have not even gotten Tatis back yet, but they have Soto and they have Machado now hitting, you know, one. it's kind of a nice little one-two punch in the order. It's hysterical, though, because they've got all these guys, and look, they have Musgrove, they have Snell, they have some really good starting pitching themselves. Uh, maybe they can equal the Dodgers in pitching, but in the postseason, let's see what happens, right? Like the Dodgers are more experienced. Uh, they have guys, who, many, many more guys who have been there and done that before. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing, hopefully, uh, Dodgers, Padres, Dodgers, Mets, you know, Padres, Mets, some some kind of, you know, Braves, Padres, whatever the case may be. Looking forward to that mix um, of teams in the NL and, and, and St. Louis, even for that matter, because of the Goldschmidt. Arenado, one-two punch, and Yadi Molina, and Adam Wainwright, two veterans who have been there forever. So the Dodgers, though, they have just got this unbelievable machine. It's a juggernaut. It's a wagon. They have a plus 233 run differential, which is absolutely positively absurd. The Yankees have had a horrible last month plus. They've been an under 500 baseball team as I record this, and they have a plus 205 run differential still. Even with all that losing, and there sit the Dodgers, 28 runs better even than that. So this is a major, major, major baseball team right now. Um, and you know what? I will say this in closing, though, okay? For as much as we've talked about the L.A. Dodgers, who's going to stop the Dodgers? Who's going to be, you know, who's going to slow them down? This and that and the other thing. You know, the L.A. Dodgers, the last six, seven, eight years with this enormous payroll and just bringing everybody over. <clears throat> Mookie Betts, Trevor Bauer, whether they've played or not, you know, Freddie Freeman, bringing over all these guys, just adding to it, just keep adding to the juggernaut. They have one World Series to show for it. This recent Dodger team, this recent run, you know, of division championships where, you know, let's be honest, I mean, they've won um, let's see, they won in 2020, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13. They won eight in a row before the Giant, uh, before, um, before 2021. Yeah, with the Giant, yes, with, with, uh, yeah, eight in a row. I mean, that's, that's incredible, right? I mean, that's insane. But we've seen it before with the Dodge, or with the Braves in the East, remember years ago, right? And I just, you look at all the divisions that they've won and they only have one World Series to show for it. I'm not saying that it's easy, but I think when you're the Dodgers and you go, 
you know, constantly to the playoffs. You have the huge resources and payroll and all that sort of thing, right? You've got all that going on. Um, if you knock on the door enough times, you probably, you know, probably want to win another one. I mean, you want to win all of them, but, you know, they won eight straight division titles, made the wild card last year. The Giants ended their run, but my point is that they've been knocking on the door like crazy. They have three pennants since 2017. I mean, they won flags in 2017, lost to Houston, cheating scandal, 18, lost in the World Series, 2020, made it, lost, of the world, lost in the World Series, um, uh, excuse me, won the World Series. That was a world, they won the World Series in 2020 in the shortened uh, pandemic COVID cardboard cutout crap. Uh, so they did win that one. Um, but yeah, three pennants and one World Series um, since 2017 and four division championships. You know, it's probably, I guess, time again for the Dodgers, considering what I just said, the resources, the players, the payroll, and everything in between. ML Sports Platter here brought to you by Burn Dairy, Bet Online, Stanley Law Offices, and our great friends over at Welch & Company Jewelers. Shop the showcase today, welchjewelers.com. They've got watches, necklaces, bracelets, a heck of a lot more. Go ahead and get your engagement ring there, your wedding ring. It's all there at Welch & Company Jewelers. Shop the showcase today at welchjewelers.com. All right, it's a crossover episode from the Pandemonium Podcast and the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. My guy Chuck Pollock from the Olean Times-Herald talk a bunch of different things on the Buffalo Bills. Uh, his coverage at St. John Fisher, the conversation with Leslie Frazier, why 13 seconds is still lingering, um, why Sean McDermott, it's just a huge year for him in 2022, breakout players, on under-the-radar players, Josh Allen, the hype and expectations getting out of control. We're going to get into all of that in this episode from the Pandemonium Podcast and the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. Here he is, Mr. Chuck Pollock. It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. What's up, Bills Mafia? Mike Lindsley back with you. Thrilled to talk some Buffalo Bills football as we continue every day to get closer and closer to the 2022 season, that Thursday kickoff against the L.A. Rams out west. It's going to be an unbelievable game, um, and I am pumped up. I know all of you are uh, as well. Hey, make sure you follow all of our platforms on social media. Subscribe to our YouTube page. Go get us on Twitter as well. We just surpassed 10,000 followers uh, on Twitter. The Facebook page is rolling as well. Live shows, we're talking about audio, video, uh, uh, written articles, you name it, content galore covering the Buffalo Bills. A few of our guys were out at training camp as well, so make sure you subscribe, download, like, follow, share, all that stuff uh, across the social platforms. At Built in Buffalo underscore is the Twitter handle, and you'll find us on Instagram as well. Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Really, really thrilled to be a part of this. Well, listen, nobody has covered this team more. Nobody 
has written more articles uh, like this guy, Chuck Pollock, uh, Olean Times-Herald columnist and Buffalo Bills writer and insider for decades upon decades. Uh, we're going to get into this year's team, the hype, uh, the expectations, all the things maybe Chuck has seen at training camp, and a heck of a lot more. Chuck Pollock, you're one of my favorites. I'm proud to call you a friend. Thanks for uh, coming on, man. How are you? Yeah, it has. And it's funny, after all this time, people are still talking about the Bills, aren't they? <laughs> they sure are, and let's, <laughs> let's get right to it. Um, man, the expectations are wild. They're sky high. The hype, sky high. Has it gotten out of control? No question. Okay. No question. I don't understand, Mike, why, and, and clearly what the, got this started was Las Vegas. Uh, way back in the winter, when they made the Bills prohibitive favorites to win not just the AFC, but also the Super Bowl, and for Josh Allen to be the landslide winner of the uh, MVP. And people have really taken to that, and, and that that reputation has only has only grown, but I'll, I'll tell you what, Mike, I look at this team. Uh, I did a radio show last week and the, uh, the host asked me, um, do you think we are a better team this year than last? I said, no, no, I don't. And the reason is uh, clearly when you lose your number one cornerback and he's still undergoing rehab for an injury that was suffered a, a knee injury suffered last Thanksgiving that's a huge loss, but that was compounded by the fact that the other starting corner, Levi Wallace, signed with the Steelers. So now, in effect, back in the spring, you're looking at, you don't have either of your starting cornerbacks. Now, supposedly, Tredavious White is going to be ready when the regular season comes out. We'll see. He's getting more and more work. But meanwhile, on the other side, they're looking for a starting corner. And Jane, Dane Jackson, who's a young guy who's played pretty well for them, he's one candidate. The other, of course, is uh, Kyrie Elam, who is their number one draft pick. But my argument is this. If you're a defensive tackle and you blow a running play that's 20 yards, if you're a cornerback and you blow a play, it's a touchdown. So to me, there's a lot of risk going into this season with a major question at, at cornerback. So I don't, you know, I, I know people are excited and so forth, but if I was a Bills fan, and as you know, I don't have the right to be, I'm just a, I'm just a journalist who covers the team, but I would rather have them flying under the radar and, and not being this, this huge favorite. And I'll tell you this, Mike, last year, they, they had similar, although not quite as lofty, predictions for themselves. But if you remember what happened, they went out in the first game at Highmark Stadium, they lost to the Steelers. So I, uh, I tell people all the time, last year, I predicted they were going to be 12-5. and five. This is when all the hype was going on. And people laughed at me. They said, you're out of your mind. This team's going to go 14-3 and three or 13-4. and four. And of course, they were right. I was wrong. They went eleven and six. <laughs> they finished the season twelve and seven, and it was a fine season. But you know, they let a chance to go to the AFC Championship game slip away in the worst possible way. And so, you know, I, I don't see much different. I think I think they're a twelve and five team again this year. 
Yeah, I think that sounds about right. I, I wouldn't actually be surprised if they won the division with the exact same record as last year just because of all the things we just talked about. And, oh, by the way, the rest of the conference is, is, is just it's, – it's insane. I mean, you have – after the division winners, you know, whoever they may be, you, you have about eight teams vying for three wild-card spots. So it's just going to be absolutely insane. Um, this year, though, I think is, is a big year for Sean McDermott. I, I love what he's done overall – the culture, the team building, the brotherhood, uh, you know, the, 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 the camaraderie, the discipline, you know, the drafting, him and Brandon Bean are lockstep, you know, one and one and one. Um, all that's great. And he's brought him to the playoffs multiple times. They've knocked on the door of the AFC title game and or the Super Bowl. And I get all that and I appreciate all that. But the 13 seconds thing really, really bothers me. And I think he's, I think he's become a better head coach in in-game situations and when it's really on the line and to halves not burning timeouts as much but that 13 seconds was inexcusable I mean the Chiefs had two timeouts you have Hill you have Kelsey you have Mahomes you have you're a, basically a prevent defense going out to the boundaries I mean you can't even find Levi Wallace they're out to the boundaries and so it doesn't really matter what Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde can do for you because you're in the wrong defense to begin with there was no pressure there was no nothing it was just hey there you go here's the yards and go tie the game up do you feel that Sean McDermott still has a major hump to get over as a head coach because of things like that absolutely that is the major criticism and it's valid and you said that you think he's gotten better as a head coach and maybe he has but the problem is the lasting memory is those 13 seconds Mm -hmm. and as you said i i think he's terrific as an organizer he's terrific as a team bonder but i i think he's substandard as a as a game day coach he is a serial waster of timeouts i mean that's undeniable He's made some awfully dubious decisions in games. And you don't have to forget the 13 seconds. Go back to midseason when they managed to go down and play a Jacksonville team with an incompetent coach in Urban Meyer. And you lose 9-6 to to the worst team in the league. To me, when that happens, that's a coaching loss. But those 13 seconds, Mike, that has become an amazing mystery to those of us who've covered the team because you do not get a straight answer. Uh, everything is couched as, well, we don't really want to talk about it and we look forward, we don't look back, and, you know, the usual blather. But there's a feeling, one, among many, that both those gaffes are on McDermott. There's a feeling, and of course, nobody will ever admit it on the record. So you get a lot of subliminal messages from team uh, teammates. And as you know, the other problem is we have such limited access to, ta- to players anymore. Now, supposedly, once the regular season starts, we'll be able to get back in the locker room. But basically now, you get a couple of players and a coach. And that's really not the way you can develop a really profound story. But there's a feeling among some that it was him who overruled uh, Heath Farwell, the uh, special teams coach, and called for the the deep kickoff rather than a pooch, which would have used up valuable seconds. Uh, Nobody will admit that. And, of course, they immediately scapegoated him, in my mind, by firing him. And the fact that he was signed by Jacksonville basically a week after he was fired says to me, 
Jacksonville wasn't worried about his credentials. The other thing, and this is even more bothersome because my favorite coach on that staff is Leslie Frazier. And there's a thought that maybe because his background, McDermott's, is in defense, he, he was kind of in, in a panic. And, and there is mass agreement that it was chaos on the sideline during that during that span. But that maybe he overruled Frazier and decided to protect the sideline, even though the Chiefs had two timeouts and kind of leave the middle of the field open, presumably to use up time. Well, you know how they used up that time? Yeah. A long pass to Hill, long pass to uh, to Kelsey, and all of a sudden, 49 yards later, the ball slips through the uprights, game is tied, Bills don't even get a possession in overtime. That is, is hurtful a loss. And I was, <laughs> I was uh, in uh, Nashville when uh, – when the Bills lost the Music City Miracle. And uh, that was a horrible, horrible loss. But in many ways, I almost felt that what happened last January in Kansas City was worse. I do too. And I have it as, you know, the, the I, I have it right after the Super Bowls. You know, the loss is there because despite the Jacksonville game you noted, despite the fact that Allen slipped and, you know, Dawkins got blown up and the offensive line just kind of fell apart, at the one-yard line against Tennessee, the Bills still had an opportunity to win against Kansas City and host the AFC Championship game, and many people believe, and who knows, since he could have gone in and beaten them just like they did the Chiefs or whatever, but a lot of people think that the Bills at that particular point at 13 seconds had the best roster and the best chance to win the Super Bowl, and uh, and it's just inexcusable, Chuck. I, it really is. I mean, when, when you think about it, um, one simple basic decision, and, and I don't care if it's chaotic, on the sidelines. You know what? That's what sports are. In the final seconds of close games, it's chaotic, and it's about those who make the right decisions who come out on top, and he just didn't make a right decision. And I think that the fan base, to a certain degree, is owed some kind of an explanation here. I I mean, I'm not even caring really about the media part, but you know what? They scream about the fan base. They scream about the loyalty. They love Bill's Mafia, blah, blah, blah. Do you think not just, and I guess it's a two-part question, do you think that the fan base deserves an explanation? Do you think fan bases overall deserve any kind of explanation from head coaches when they have a gaffe like that? They do. They do. But good luck on that. (laughs) <laughs> and certainly this is this is proof. And, you know, you, you, you talked about the loss at Tennessee, which was brutal because that's game. You watch it wind down and say, OK, Josh Allen's going to step into the end zone here. They win the game. But to me, I look at that Jacksonville game and say, you win that game. And guess where the Chiefs are playing last January? It's not in Kansas City. They're playing here. And all of a sudden you look entirely differently at how that game plays out if it's played here in Buffalo. And I, I, there's been so much disingenuous, disingenuousness about explaining what happened during that, during that time. And I, I just can't shake the idea that, that McDermott might've involved himself. And your point about chaos is, is a good one. Do you think the new England sideline, is in chaos late in a close game. Right. I mean, I, 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 I can't even imagine that. And so, um, you know, I want them to do, to do well because, as I tell people, I'm not a fan, but people are more interested in what I write when they win. Uh, and and I, you know, when, when a game ends like that, it's just really, 
it's really disquieting. Yeah, I mean, you think about Bill Belichick not panicking, calling a timeout and whatever else, and Pete Carroll decides to throw the football instead of handing it to Marshawn Lynch, and boom, the Patriots get another Super Bowl. It's like those little things, sure, you know, that, sure. that, that make you get to the top of the mountain. Chuck Pollock is with us, Buffalo Bills insider and writer for the Olean Times here. Let's get to the training camp portion of the interview here. Um, you've come out with a, a bunch of great stories, um, you know, on the team. Take my listeners here on the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network, uh, you know, through some of the things that you've done, who you've talked to, uh, some of the topics. Uh, just kind of go around and give me kind of the State of the Union training camp from where you sit. Well, it's, you know, as I mentioned, Mike, it's it's our access to players is extremely limited. Um, and what what any, everybody ends up doing is you get those two players, maybe three, after a practice and an assistant coach. Uh, but you find yourself stockpiling those quotes because you end up using them and you can't, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, not every college or professional athlete is, as we call them, a great talker. And a lot of times you have a person who's not a great talker having a big role in the game, but you know you're not going to get a particularly eloquent response. So in the old days, you go over a locker and say, hey, tell me about this guy. Talk to me about what happened today. And eventually you get a voice that brings that story to life. We really we really don't have that now. I, it, it's interesting to me clearly, in my mind, the, the position – Concern, as I mentioned, is cornerback. So there's been a lot of microscoping that. But I also get the idea, and you know, you kind of react to things a team does by the nature of where it's done. And the Bills, I swear, have some problems on the offensive line based on who they've based on who they've brought in, and. Um, the other day, they had a practice in which the only starter who was available was the center, Mitch Morris. Now, they've gotten everybody back. Deion De- Dawkins is back. Roger, Roger Saffold, who is a guard they signed from Tennessee, uh, hasn't started practicing until just about now. He's certainly not in condition yet. He suffered broken ribs in a car crash right before training camp. Um, they, they got Ryan Bates back. He had some health issues, but they, they love him and he'll be the starter at at right guard. And finally, Spencer Brown, who had what they, of course, this always happens with pro teams. They minimize any injury and the bills are particularly secretive about injury, but Spencer Brown, the six, eight, uh, second round pick from, uh, from last year, uh, he, he had a good stretch last season, had, a, had a, a back procedure done, and now he's finally back in the lineup. So we're kind of watching that. But they, you know, they brought in Saffold. They brought in a center, a backup center who can also play guard, and Greg Mance from the, uh, the Dolphins. Uh, you just get the idea that they're not totally comfortable. And it'll be interesting to me because, you know, in my in my view, and I don't think that it's I'm unique in feeling this way. Um, the Bills have a reputation for being a good drafting team since Brandon Bean got there. Mm-hmm. I I don't necessarily agree. He did one great thing in the draft, and that was taking number seventeen. 
on a flyer to put this guy on the field. And all of a sudden the bills had their franchise quarterback and an extraordinary talent. But a lot of his draft picks have been whole hum. And for instance, a second rounder a couple of years ago, Cody Ford, I don't even know if he's going to make the, make the roster, but the thing that Brandon Bean has done very well in my mind is sign veteran free agents. And those guys have filled some pretty good, some pretty good holes. Now there are some exceptions draft wise, obviously, Gabe Davis was an inspired draft pick in the fourth round. And so he's had a couple of those. Dawson Knotts, it took a while, but that third-round guy turns out to be a quality tight end. But I think if you were to grade him overall, you'd say he was about average as a drafter. But as a signer of veteran talent, I think he's pretty skilled at that. Okay, you just brought up Allen. You've covered this game for a long time. You've seen... 50 years. Yeah, you've seen... (laughs) everything you've seen all the players you've seen all the positions can can you compare him to anybody I mean I know it's easy to say no just because of the size but you know what about skill set and everything in between I mean I guess most people recently compare him to Big Ben Roethlisberger but even there there's some differences right like you can't can can you compare Allen to anybody you've seen in in your time Chuck no I I really can't the size obviously is, is a huge factor anyway um, he has a rare arm. He's had as good an arm as there's ever been in the league. And what's interesting to me was, and I covered Jim Kelly throughout his career in Buffalo. And Jim was funny. When he first started, he's one of those guys who would never take the blame. Never. And it was weird that it wasn't until the bickering bills of 1989, Jim had complained because Howard Ballard, who was a six foot nine, three hundred and fifty-five pound tackle from Alabama, absolutely beloved in the locker room, just a gentle, nice guy. And one one game he had he had let let in two sacks of Kelly, and Kelly was talking about the team. He said, "You know, uh, we're really in pretty good shape here. We got a weakness at one position, and I think we all know what that is." Well, that didn't sit well, and I will say. The guy who made it stick was Thurman Thomas, who was in his second year. And he called Jim out on his radio show in Rochester. And all of a sudden, Jim, all of a sudden, Jim changed that attitude. And he would take the blame for things that happened. By the end of his career, he'd take the blame for things he didn't do. And if you don't think that makes friends in the locker room, well, (laughs) the difference is this guy Josh Allen walks in there. He's taken the blame from day one. He's taken the blame when it was clearly not his fault. His leadership skills are amazing. I mean, he it's not a cliche. He's a loved guy in that locker room. One, because he's so tough. And, and that's the other thing. You know, you mentioned Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger was an imposing figure because they were very similar size. But... Ben Roethlisberger did not have Josh's athleticism or speed. Right. And that's a huge, huge difference to the point where, you know, the Bills depend too much on Josh for rushing yardage. And, you know, if that's an area on offense where they come a bit short, they're just not getting out enough out of their running backs because I cringe every time I see him run because he's fearless. And he has a knack for not getting blasted <laughs> on some of his runs. But, you know, you're one mistake away from losing the guy who's the franchise. 
Yeah, you really are. A um, couple more for Chuck Pollock, only on Times Herald, Buffalo Bills writer and insider. G- give me a guy on each side of the ball, Chuck, who you think is kind of flying under the radar but could be a huge, impactful player. Well, on on offense, and he's he's not on a, under the radar because he caught four touchdown passes against the Chiefs. But for a lot of last season, Gabriel Davis was just another guy. Yep. Then he wasn't. And I, you know, to me, I would be totally unsurprised if Gabe catches more touchdown passes than 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 uh, Stefan. And that's nothing against Stefan, but this guy is coming along fast. He wants to be the best wide receiver in the league, and boy, he does some terrific, terrific things on defense. It will be interesting. I, I think the guy that's going to end up being watched the most is Von Miller from the standpoint that at age 33, does he have what he had during his heyday? Because if he does, that really changes that defense. But the guy who's going to be under the microscope the most by far is Tremaine Edwards at middle linebacker because this is a con- his contract year. He... The only criticism of him, his tackle numbers are really good, but he is not a producer of big plays. Interceptions and sacks are way, way down from what you'd expect out of that position. Now, Leslie Frazier, who's not given to hyperbole, he's of the opinion that 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 Tremaine is going to have a huge year this year and that there's not even going to be a question whether he's the Bills middle linebacker of the future. So that will be the case. Now, of course, the other person you look on the defense is, okay, who is it who steps into that slot at cornerback opposite Tredavious White? And I don't know. I don't know right now whether that'll be Dane Jackson or or Keir Elam, but they have a focus on them as well. So, uh, but on, on, on offense, you know, even... Even after what he did in the in that uh, AFC divisional playoff game, Gabe Davis, I think, is a guy who's just going to jump off the page. Yeah, I think your Edmonds description is completely and utterly accurate. Um, I mean, let's face it. I was going to call you to talk some Buffalo Bills in the coming days, and here I am going to Niagara Falls for my dear friend Bill Hoppy's wedding. You don't know who's going to be there. Um, I had an idea that there were some St. Bonnie people there, and... Um, Lo and behold, I sit down, getting ready for the ceremony, and I look to my left, and I see J.P. Butler over my shoulder. I look to my right, and I see Mr. Chuck Pollock sitting with your lovely wife, who's, uh, we, we were able to sit at the table all together. And what a riot that was uh, to be able to see you and, and, and hang out and you know catch up a little bit and talk. Uh, I mean, I obviously felt bad for our wives at the table because all we did, you and me and J.P., was talk sports. But um, it was really fun to hang out with you and uh, you know to, to, to share a lot of a lot of great, uh, great things celebrating my guy Bill Hoppy, Chuck. Well, I'll tell you what I thought. I told Bill I thought it was really nice that he set up a media table for us. It yeah. doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really cool. Only in times, Harold Buffalo Bills insider and writer Chuck Pollock. Thank you so much, my man, and we'll talk down the line. Okay, Michael, be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.